you're talking about trends and like let's talk about single mall because that's making that's a trend that's happening in canada um you think that just the barley grain is just releasing good flavor that's different than a typical mash bill what is it about single mall that it's, it's growing popularity the fact that jack daniels did it <laughs> hey, welcome to Super Social Club. I'm Jeremy. This is Whiskey in the Six. I'm Rob. Welcome to the Whiskey Ramp Podcast. It's a little crusty. It's frustrating. And it's going to be a little bit of a rant. I don't understand it. I don't know why. Some sort of injustice. Anyway, end rant. Hello and welcome back to the Whiskey Ramp Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Rob. And tonight we are joined by an amazing guest, Jason from the Mash and Drum, the most trusted name in bourbon on YouTube. 100%. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. How are you tonight? <laughs> the most trusted name on YouTube. In my, oh my opinion, God. 100%. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that, guys. Oh, nice to nice to be on. What's what's uh I've been I've been listening to your guys, your podcasts and uh your episodes and yeah, I'm honored to be to be a guest. This is awesome. Yeah, it's been a while, right? Like I mean, you were on a live like a we randomly went live one night or something and and you joined us one night. Yeah. But other than that, like scheduled together it's been a while and you know what one of the occurrences were here at the house mm -hmm. yeah that was, yeah yeah that's that right was, that was uh the old game of thrones we gotta bring it back next time uh house of dragons comes back house for the Dra season finale yeah i'll have to take another trip to canada and uh, join you guys for that because uh yeah there's a lot to be said about house of dragon as well so yeah yeah, we'll do that for sure. Um, so lots of topics on the cue sheet tonight. Um, craft distilleries was right. something that we were thinking about talking about. Yeah. Um, the pros and cons of craft distilleries. There's so many popping up. You look at the U.S. right now, um, over, you know, 2,500 craft distilleries. Uh, Canada, you know, over, well over 150. Oh, yeah. They're popping up all over the place. It's been a huge trend the last five to ten years. Mm -hmm. It's just flooding the market with craft uh distilleries jason what are some pros and cons of the craft distilleries right now that you're noticing uh in your neck of the woods in the u.s i'll, I'll start off with cons first i think the con part of it is in uh, you know and and however you guys want to look at it i look at it as we're in a golden age of whiskey right now there's just there's so much whiskey to drink so much whiskey to try no matter there's something for every palate that's sitting on the shelf and I don't think anyone can really argue that. There's just so much, whether good, bad, ugly, no matter what it is, yeah. there's something to try for everyone. Absolutely. Um, so I think even though that's good, it's also part of the con because you have to, I think it's harder for the, especially for if it's a small distillery starting just in the last few years, or even starting now, you got to, I feel like you got to work, you know, 30 times as hard just to make yourself stick out. Like what's different about you? than these other guys have been coming out with in the last five, six, seven years. Um, because I feel like all that stuff that we, that we saw all these startups that started, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, all this whiskey that they've been filling and barreling are, st it's starting to come of age yeah. and we're starting to really see the full potential of what some of this craft whiskey could be um, and what it could turn into. So um, I think, as part of a con for it, I think it's just an over, it's an oversaturation of the market. It just, it's hard to look at where you want to go. So I think people just tend to stay in their lane. Like, I don't know what the hell that is. I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah. I, I've never seen that bottle before. I don't know what label that is. So I'm just going to buy what I know. So it just gets that much harder to, and, and you know, you got to talk price in there too, because a craft whiskey will come out 
and it'll usually be at least 50 to 80 bucks, if not more. Right. So why am I paying the money for a four to five-year-old product when I could get a, you know, nine, 10, 11 year old product for a lot cheaper from a bigger distillery? That's yeah. I think that's like the biggest uh, con when it comes to the craft distillery, right? Like uh, Jeremy and I spoke about that a little bit off camera. Like how is any new guy coming to the, the forefront now supposed to compete with, you know, the 70 to $80 range, like single malts and, and that sort of stuff that, that are from Scotland that are 10 to 12 years old already. When you're coming out with this three-year-old product and you have to sell it at $70 because you're not going to make any profits because it took you three years to get there before you could sell anything. And then you yeah. have to pay for the, like, you know, until you're at least 15 years into the game, it's a super expensive game to be in, right? For sure it is. And you're also taking a huge gamble with your money. Because, you know, these craft distilleries, they are coming in at a higher price point because obviously their operation costs are more than established brands. Yeah. And like, how do you choose? There is so much oversaturation in the market. Can you really risk your money on a product that is brand new that you know nothing about? I mean, it might be presented in a way you like at cash strength or barrel proof or whatever. Yeah. But still, like, do you know? It's so hard. That's the that's the risk that you take as a consumer taking a chance on all of these new distilleries and like how many are actually worth their money. Yeah. Like I almost feel bad for some of these companies because like, how are you, how are you going to make a name for yourself if you don't sell your product and how are you supposed to sell your product if it's coming in too expensive because you can't afford to put it in any less than, you know, 90 bucks a bottle. But guess what? When you're at 90 bucks a bottle, you're competing with, stuff that's twice your age, mm -hmm. sometimes more, right? So it's it's a really tough game to be in, especially like Jason said, it's getting oversaturated. So, you know, it's good in one way because as a consumer, what does oversaturation mean? It means that the prices are going to start to come down a little bit, right? Yep. But if you're a craft distiller, you're scared a little bit because yep. you need to stand out, like Jason said. Like Otherwise, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. Mm -hmm. Yes, especially especially if your stuff is just coming of age now and you know it like that fifty to sixty dollar price point, maybe seventy, it's like, okay, now we can start making a profit. But it took you so long to get to that point, and now the the market is what it is. It is. It's tougher. Where I think the pros happen on the on the craft whiskey market, and you know, we we touched on this a little bit before we started, but you have craft distillers that have influenced the old heritage distillers in the last several years. Yeah. So stuff that the craft distillers have done, whether it be finish wise, whether it be experimental, uh, using different types of wood types, wood casks, um, wood species, uh, different mash bills, all that stuff that a craft distillery could do at the drop of a dime um, that takes years for a big distiller to do. Um, I think is where the craft it's, it's the same as when you just look at a small business versus a, you know, huge corporation, uh, you know, private owned, privately owned businesses can make a switch on a dime because they don't have to go through all the red tape. Right. Uh, so craft distilleries could do the same thing. They could experiment a little easier. They could bring in different barrels, see how their distillate, you know, reacts with it, do different things and then turn that into a trend, uh, which then it seems as such, the big distillers seem to follow suit eventually, maybe not right away, because I think they got to do a lot more things to make that happen uh, than the small distillers do. 
So I think while with their own stuff, distiller, you know, the craft distillers, it, it could be definitely difficult to stand out. But if they hit on something that becomes a trend, then you got something. Yeah. Yeah. Who are leading the way in the craft distillers right now? Like, are you looking at like Texas and success that like Iron Root has and Balconis has, and they've done really, really well as like craft distillers. We have two bottles in front of us right now, two brewers and Shelter Point, arguably the two best craft distillers in Canada right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it's much of an argument at the moment. Like they're probably the best Yeah, and, and they might be the best distilleries period. Right. Like, sure. Like, Shelter points on their way from breaking out of even just, I don't even know if you can consider them a, a craft distillery anymore because they have thousands of barrels lined yeah. up in their, and you know, and the product is all coming of age at like around 10, 11, 12 years old now. So mm. they're, I think they just broke out of that. Like it's maybe you could still kind of call them a craft. Maybe you can call them that for like the first 20 years of their existence, but yeah. they're breaking out of that. These guys are getting older too. The only problem with, with two brewers is they don't probably produce enough sure. to not be considered a craft distillery. Yeah. So Jason, okay. what are we looking at in the U S like who is leading the way in craft distilling right now? Well, I think when you look at craft distillers, first you have to define it a little bit. You know, I don't really look at craft distillers. I think everyone's a craft distiller, especially if you're just making it from grain to glass. But when you're talking about some of these newer distilleries in the market, the ones that have really kind of made noise the last several, you know, a couple of years. One of them I point to is Starlight always, which is out of Indiana. It's oh, kind yeah. of like the other big distillery in Indiana <laughs> that everyone <laughs> kind of points to, um, you know, other than uh, Ross and Squibb, MGP, whatever you want to call them. Um, you know, those guys are, you know, just absolutely killing it with their, their quality of their distillate has gotten better and better and better over the last several years. They're doing a, just a, a bevy of uh, different types of finishes, both in their bourbon, both in their rise. They're doing blends. I mean, everything from blueberry port to amburana to port to estate port to sherry to double oaked. I mean, you think of it, they're doing it. Um, you know, I think some people looked at it a little bit negatively when they first started out because it's like, you know, you kind of look at, you know, some folks that are like, okay, well, they're obviously doing all these finishes because they're their their uh their distillate isn't really up to age yet so you're just trying to put a lipstick on a pig a little bit but now now that their stuff is coming of age and getting older you're getting to that four five six year old age range with those finishes i think that some of the stuff that starlight's doing is absolutely incredible um i don't know if you could call really sagamore spirit craft because they're getting bigger and bigger but what they're doing with rye whiskey is absolutely incredible um How's that um, new PX, not to uh, interrupt your train of thought there, but yeah. how's that new uh, PX finish, uh, Sagamore? Uh, we just got it here at the LCBO. I'm wondering. Oh, dude, that's an automatic pickup. It's 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 amazing. It's really, really good. It's It ended up being my number three rye of the year. Oh, and wow. uh, I did like a 12, a 12 uh, rye blind tasting, and it made it all the way up to third. And it was it was pretty impressive. Um, nice. I think New Riff, New Riff from a standpoint, has really come of age um some of like the newer new stuff that's kind of been hitting um um what's that uh what's that bottle that i had here um uh oh yeah uh old dominic's old dominic's out of memphis tennessee their stuff is really starting to hit 
uh, hard truth out of uh, Indiana as well, really starting to hit, really starting to kind of find their stride, mostly on the rye front. Uh, and I think a lot of a lot of these new distillers are really trying to make headway with their rye whiskeys because you can release it at a little bit of a younger age, right. you know, before the bourbon comes of age. So if yeah. you get a good rye, get some good distillate out there, I think you have a chance to do something different. Yeah, there's a there's a local distillery actually um, not far from my house. It's called Last Straw. They they recently won some decent awards for their rye, uh, their yeah. their newest cast strength rye. It's it's fantastic. I've had a chance to try it myself. Uh, they are also doing uh, it's a single malt technically, but it's yeah. made from um, from chocolate stout uh, barley, like uh, like a, a chocolate stout, like a barley stout. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's also won a lot of awards as well. Kind of like what Glen Orangey does with the Signet, like using that, like. So they, they use stout beer and then they, they distill that oh, wow. into a whiskey. So it's. Oh yeah. 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 I've, we've seen, we've seen some of that too in American whiskey. I think, I think the trend this year is going to be more beer finishes, more beer collaborations. Really? We've already seen it with Bardstown Bourbon Company uh, doing two different stout finishes. They did a KBS and they also did a Goose Island uh, finish. And I think we're gonna, I think we're going to see more and more of these uh, throughout this year. That was kind of a prediction I had. Uh, Driftless Glen, Driftless Glen out of Wisconsin is making absolutely amazing stuff. Um, I can't get enough of doing picks for my own group with them. It's just just the stuff they're making is absolutely insanely good. Um, but then you know, even aside from the craft distillers, I think the biggest thing that's kind of hit the market are blenders. Yeah. I think blender blenders even more so than craft distillers are the ones that are kind of the in between bottles that you really don't know what to expect. Yeah, like a like a craft distiller, you could kind of taste that profile and be like, "Yes, I like this," or "No, I don't like this," and kind of move on. Blenders, you know, you talk about Penelope, you talk about Buzzard's Roost, Barrel, um, you know, Found North, a million, uh, all these uh, a million of these blenders coming out yeah. that. You just not the, those I think are coming even more into the market than the than the uh, the craft distillers. Is what uh, so barrel they they would be considered a blender, right? Barrel? Absolutely, yeah. Barrel craft spirits. For and sure. um, what about uh, what is it? Fourgate? Not Fourgate. Is it Fourgate? Yeah, Fourgate. Are they a blender or are they a craft distillery? No, they are. They just purely source distillate. So they are sourcing uh, high age distillate, throwing it in some different finishes. Now, what they do, that's a little bit of a niche, is they do combo barrel distilling, um, which they're not exactly doing two barrels, but they will take a barrel that was holding uh, sherry most of its life. And then somebody decided to take that sherry barrel and age port wine in it. Oh, wow. Um, and then once that barrel's done, then you have kind of those two different distillates that have been sitting in that barrel uh, aging. Uh, and then Forgate will take that barrel and throw like a 10 year and 11 year old bourbon in it and then see what the both those flavors do collectively. So, awesome. yeah. So I think what they do is interesting. Uh, Forgate did do a blend. They, they have done blends. They did their first Burai last year, which ended up being my top bourbons of the year, which was freaking delicious. It was a, uh, it was a bourbon and a rye blend finished in a, I want to say a, uh, a dark rum and a port barrel. It was pretty damn delicious. So, yeah, I got a couple of um, actually to go back to the craft 
I have a couple. Do you? Would you consider when it's scotch? It just doesn't feel like a craft <laughs> distillery, does it? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but the the Ardmacurin, the these guys are new too. Uh, Kings Barn, they're the they're a lowland uh, single malt. Um, there's a whole bunch of of even in Scotland distilleries that are popping. Well, up. why don't we try to define what we think craft distilling is? Like, Jason, what would you? How would you define it? Is it someone like independently owned? Is it production volume that they put out? What makes a distillery craft? I don't know. For me, like I said, I think all distilleries are somewhat craft distilleries. So to back to Jeremy's point, I would probably go back to like volume. If you're only churning out, you know, a couple hundred barrels like a year because you're so small, then maybe that is where craft goes under because you're just not putting out a lot of stuff. Right, you're, yeah. you know, you're just kind of more experimenting. You're trying to get your bearings on exactly what you want to produce. Mm -hmm. um, stuff that's a young age, uh, stuff like that. I mean, I'm curious, like scotch, like like I feel like you could get away with a young peated cask. You could, yes. you know, we beastie five years just to use Ardbeg as a as an like a as, an, as an example. Five years old, hard peat. You could kind of mask a little bit of that young distillate in there. Absolutely. Maybe some maybe some people it doesn't it doesn't mask it very well. Right. Um, but if you're not doing a peated cask, if you're just doing like a a sherry cask, does it really work at like five six years old? I mean, you tell me. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, yeah. one example of like a craft uh, Scottish distillery would be Daft Mill. And they are definitely craft. Like it's one farmer, his yield, and you're he didn't produce anything, didn't release a bottle until it was 12 years old. Yeah, Daft Mill's, Daft Mill's super unique because they are, they immediately became like ridiculously popular. It's a, it was like the guy the most pot like the the prom king <laughs> started a distillery and immediately sold out barrels like it didn't even like matter what <laughs> i don't know i like I this, don't the whole story behind it is what really i get it like, he's it, like i'm super, only making like, this much he's almost like i'm making it for my friends but i'll sell you a little bit yeah and like i'm only doing two distills of the year one summer batch one winter batch that's it and people just i mean it was really good quality stuff oh yeah of course, for sure but it's, it's almost like you can't get it, so you want it. Yeah, it, it, and I guess, yeah, 100% in that sense, it is a craft, so it should be on this table right here, and I do have it, right? So, like, that's an example of, like, a scotch that is craft, but, like, it's not, he didn't pump it out super young, right? Because he didn't really do it as, he was more like this a passion product more than it is, like, a investment money maker. Yeah, I wonder, and I wonder if he was already fairly well off, and, and that's why he was able to do it that way, like, he waited 12 years before he put out his first bottle. That's absurd. Mm -hmm. Who does that? I don't think anybody does that. I don't think anybody in the game has not, ever done that. Not like nowadays. It doesn't seem so. I don't think. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, especially in bourbon, like you kind of want them to wait five, six years, but you don't normally get that. You, right. you see a lot of stuff at four years old, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, some stuff can be really good at four years. You just, you just never know. I mean, there's really shit distillate out there yep. at four years. And then sometimes you run across... Like, for example, um, a craft distillery that I just did, uh, we did two picks of, uh, of with our group called Cedar Ridge. They're in the middle of God knows where, Ohio. <laughs> and their, their distill, I'm sorry, not Ohio, Iowa. And their, and their distillate is probably some of the best younger tasting distillate I've ever had. 
like you would never think it's four years old just tasting it there's no there's no youthful bitterness to it uh i think starlight is getting to that point i think they've kind of figured it out so it's just you know it is what it is um you know as as it as it uh progresses and as these as these small distilleries start to figure it out yeah i think i mean i pass over that woody's because this is this is um colorado colorado distillery that i'm not very familiar with but i've never seen that label in my life yeah heard great things about it it's six years old that looks dark for six years old is that cast strength it is it's 59.5 percent okay um the mash bill is 70 percent corn 15 percent rye 15 percent barley and it's yeah all new american oak it's 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 a bourbon right um Looks pretty cool. I'm going to actually crack it and try it. Crack it open. We've had some good stuff from some Colorado distilleries. Colorado Colorado is like sneak, like the sneaky next coming of, of Kentucky, I feel like. Because they have a handful of distilleries that are doing some pretty good stuff. Like uh, we mentioned 291 before, before we went live, but uh, there's also Stranahan's that's been there for a long time. I feel like they have good water yeah right is well they like- have they have two things they have good water and they have a good fluctuation of weather in colorado yeah no matter yeah. where you are and if you have if you have those two things if you know how to make good whiskey you could probably turn out some really good whiskey mm-hmm. so. yeah yeah have you had anything from the was it traverse city whiskey company they made like a big name for themselves yeah traverse city up in detroit um yeah. they're yeah they have been doing some uh their their barrel proof rye i think their their ryes have been really delicious their bourbons at a high proof have been have been really good again you get into a price point issue with them yeah. if you like their distillate you like their distillate um another one i would throw in from michigan is um uh mayor pingree making absolutely fantastic blends and bourbon blends and single barrels all their stuff is coming of age i mean there's just a lot of good whiskey uh, being made, especially in the Midwest, and uh, as you get, as you even you work your, your uh, your way to the to the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that other Colorado distillery that we really like? Uh, it's right over there. It's at, this this actual bottling is fantastic. Boulder, Boulder, Boulder. Oh yeah, Boulder. Yep. This is the um, the Trailhead, and it's a single malt. 52.5%. This is fantastic. This was uh, aged in a sherry barrel. Canada got the whole barrel. This is really good. Yeah, the same uh, the same folks I was just at, telling you guys about Cedar Ridge in Iowa. Yeah. They make a they make a single malt called the Quintessential and it's they just did their first uh all sherry matured uh single malt single barrel that they just released at cast strength and it's it's phenomenal. It's one of the best American single malts I've had. So I, which I think is going to be the next trend. Yeah. Because yeah, so you, I don't know. Yeah. You're talking about trends and like, let's talk about single malt. Cause that's making, that's a trend that's happening in Canada. Um, you think that just the barley grain is just releasing good flavor. That's different than a typical mash bill. What is it about single malt that it's, it's growing popularity? The fact that Jack Daniels did it. (laughs) That's that. I think that's what's making it popular, to be honest. Um, I mean, you had guys, you know, you had Virginia Distilling Company. You guys mentioned Stranahan's, Balcones. 
I mean, we've, we've seen American single malts being crafted here for the last several years. Uh, nobody, I mean, some people have definitely paid attention to it, but I think we're going to start seeing these bigger, again, this is where I, to my point earlier, you have smaller distillers making American single malts that are now going to be guiding the bigger distilleries. And I think with all the whiskey out there, the bourbons, the rise, the oversaturation of the market, you're always looking for something different. So what's the next big thing for these, for these grandfather distillers to do? Do a, an American single malt. Yeah. Jack Daniels figured it out. They're owned by Brown Foreman, who also owns Glendronic. I think they had a lot of, a lot of guidance there, uh, which was definitely told to me you know, from Jack Daniels, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So once they kind of learned how to do it and distill it and work with barley, um, they made their own. And I think that's what we're going to see now from the, uh, I, I think the more and more these bigger distillers get into it and start trying to craft their own, I think the bigger it's going to get. I think it just took a little bit to get there because nobody with a big name was really diving into it. And I think now that Jack Daniels has, we'll see more popularity of the American single malt category, especially if you factor in, it just got a, uh, you know, it got a, an official de- designation from the, uh, you know, from the TB, what do you call it? The TTB uh, in, in the United States. So there's guidelines now to how you have to make American single malt. Okay. And I think that'll just make it more competitive in the market. And I think it was perfect timing from Jack Daniels standpoint to get in on the game right then and there. Cause I think this is going to drive innovation from everybody else to come out with an American single malt, especially when you have, you know, bourbon's bourbon. But to have that word American on the front, I think that's a big deal. So, yeah, American single malt is that going to be like a hundred percent barley or like malted barley or? Yeah, it's got to be barley, but the barley has to be grown in the U.S. I think mean, that's one of the one of the wow. guidelines. Cool. Um, but they did keep it, I think, to a point where you could still be pretty creative. They wanted to kind of keep it uh, the rules and regulations a little bit looser than bourbon, so you can have some flexibility as far as aging. Um, and you know, using a used cask, a new cask, whatever it may be. Right. So it's an interesting time, especially for a single malt because, and I feel like this is where Scotland has to be careful. Yes, they definitely do. They have to be careful because as much as it's a culture there and as much as they do an incredible job, like, let's be honest, we drink majority scotch for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, they have to be careful in the sense that the U.S. could sneak up on them. Canada can sneak up on them and put out some distilleries that are coastal, that have great climates, that can age whiskey a little faster than mm-hmm. than what Scotland can. You know, so it's a it's a scary. I, if I were a Scottish distillery, I'd start to really think about how I'm going to win over fans in the next little while, and I think. Uh, ben Romick is very proactive about this. I think, you know, Springbank already knows they're going to be a player in the game for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. I, think play, I think companies like McAllen, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, they need to be very careful. Yeah, they're using their brand recognition that they've built up the last however many years, and they have dipped quality in their bottlings and jack prices. Yeah. And that can only last for so long. It's only a matter of time until someone comes out with a product that's cheaper, that kind of tastes like McAllen or kind of tastes like one of those big brand names and can sell boatloads of, of stuff to China and boatloads of stuff to the other Asian markets and, and 
basically make those other guys obsolete. Yeah. You know, it's only a matter of time. So I'll tell you what, Virginia distilling here in uh, the United States, they have a, um, I forgot the age statement on it, but they have a port finished American single malt that you could put right up against. And it's a little bit higher of a proof. You could put it right up against the Glen Morangie Quinta Rubin uh, 14 year, which is a, one of those like quintessential single malts that you kind of reach for um, non-chill filter, 46% for the, for the Quinta Rubin. And, and it's a really great malt for the price. Yeah. Um, but you have like companies like Virginia distilling coming out that could go right head to head with it and be at that same price point. What's going to stop somebody from saying, well, this is from America. I'm going to buy it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're, you're going to get, I mean, that's one thing people know doesn't matter where you are in the world. The one thing people know is Americans are very patriotic. So they have a choice of equal quality things. Yeah. And one's coming from yeah. the US and one's coming from somewhere else. What are they going to choose? They're mm -hmm. going to choose that American product. For sure. Right. And and you're probably going to find a lot of Canadian people that do the same, probably because the price is going to be better. Yeah. And, you know, so like I said, the, the clock is ticking on these big distilleries to change the game, fix it fix their product or lose out to the like 2000 distilleries that opened up in the last five years. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you have two different sides of the coin too. I think you have folks coming into the game. They're going to try to offer something at a budget type level to set themselves apart, try to find something or create something that's a great taste, a great flavor. That's a little bit more of a, uh, an approachable price point. Right. Now, what that price point is, 40, 50, 60 bucks, whatever it may be. Then you have the com completely different flip side of it, where single malt distilleries want to make things more exclusive, uh, more rare, more exclusive casking, higher ages. That's how they're going to set themselves apart. But unfortunately, with that end of it, they're only looking at like maybe the top like five, 10 percent of whiskey drinkers. They're going to pay the money to access that. Yeah. So. What happens when a Texas company comes uses the Texas barbecue approach to smoking their barley and does an Octomore style <laughs> whiskey okay. that's four years old or three years old? You don't need much in Texas. Yeah. Like you, I don't even three years old. You're you're risking losing half the cask or probably. That's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> What, what, what happens then? Like you have a virgin oak cask or like, you know, a char level one, because anything more than that probably will like right. get sucked up. Um, smoked barley. Yeah. And then you distill it in, in, you know, and you age it in Texas or you want, you want to be like, let's say California does it or someone else. You know what I mean? Like you use that Louisiana barbecue style weight. Like that's how Brook, that's how Brook Laddie smokes their barley. It's like uh, how they would smoke fish. Right. That's how they get all that PPM into their barley is that that slow uh, smoking as a, like uh, low temperature as opposed to mm -hmm. the hot like couple hour sure. out of uh, smoking their peat. Right. So yeah they, yeah, they smoke their peat like brisket low and slow, baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? And that's what causes the PPM to go in the like hundreds to. Right. You know. Uh, so now what happens when the U S starts doing well, that? I mean, my guess is, is that Scotland's going to really play on the fact that, cause look, I mean, you have U S single malt, you know, uh, producers. 
I still feel like it's not made like it is in Scotland, though. And there's certain there's a there's a there's a quality and a romanticism about a single malt scotch being made in Scotland. Oh, for sure. Um, the the barley that's being grown there, if they're utilizing that barley, and all being all coming from Scotland, yep. the the stills that are just historic, and all of them are are different. They're like uh, you know to they're like snowflakes. They're all a little different. Yeah, yeah. You know, and each each and every distillery has their own type of or a different take on their still that makes their distillate so unique. And I think that's what they have to play on. Um, Cause I still think, you know, even if American single malt gets to a point where it's, it's, uh, it's that good. It's, it's, it's super high quality. And I could tell you just from being, you know, in a, you know, drinking bourbon and being with bourbon people, I don't think the casual bourbon drinker is ready for American single malt yet. Single malt to them, I still think is a, kind of a yeah it's not sweet enough yeah because another thing that i've been seeing in the last couple years is the desertification of bourbon yeah everything is getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and malted barley does not fall into that sweetness unless you're throwing it in a super wet port or sherry cask to make it that sweet yeah no that's true that's great yeah I, i think that's the thing that's gonna kind of keep scotland on top when it comes to single malt yeah i mean also they're the way they mature whiskey right you like you said it's low and slow it's a low temperature and for a long amount of time and that that process of maturation just adds the elegance and the refinement to the to the whiskey oh yeah they have a a couple hundred years head start right <laughs> like it's there's there's no joke in in the reserves that that are in scotland but you, you got guys like Shelter Point, like I said, they have a couple thousand barrels now stashed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In a, in a location in the world that in a lot of ways mimics the climate of Scotland. Yep. Uh, maybe a touch warmer, right? So it's a touch warmer mimicking that like like salty, like sea spray air. Um, yeah. You know, they're getting glacier water. Right. So Shelter Point can be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. I, I think... Two brewers has to stay a little smaller because they have to age everything in house because Yukon is cold, yeah. right? So you you start to like have a un air conditioned uh, like aging house, and all of a sudden you're not really aging your whiskey anymore for a good portion of the year because it's too cold to do it. So that's that's where I think Shelter Point really has an advantage. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I mean. I had tried some Shelter Point when I came to your place. And even at that time, I was really impressed with it. So I can only imagine how their stuff is aging up now. Mm-hmm. Jason, I want to go back to something you mentioned before. One of your predictions is distilleries using beer barrels to mature whiskey. Mm-hmm. We've had some experience in the Scotch world. Um, the Glenfiddich uh, IPA. The Glenfiddich IPA. I wasn't yep. big on it. No, it's super sweet though. There's, surprisingly, it wasn't really yeah. IPA ish. There was the leg of Bullen, the Offerman. The Offerman, yeah, was done was in a, um, stout. Was it a Guinness? It was in a Guinness barrel. Yeah. What is it about beer barrels? Is it the availability that attracts uh, distillers to age that? Is it the flavor profile? What do you think? What do you think it is? I think it's just kind of the next thing that people are looking for. I think that uh, if you've you know, we were talking a little bit about like picks and, and different things that are being available here in the United States. There's, I mean, a ton of sherry, 
a ton of port finishes. Um, Ambirana. I don't know if you guys have ever had a chance to try any Ambirana finished uh, whiskeys. No. Um, Ambirana is a Brazilian, uh, a Brazilian type of wood species that is being used in every facet of. Uh, I mean, I think the first one to really make it interesting was uh, Starlight, as as I mentioned. It basically just tastes like. If you ever been to Taco Bell late at night and you got the cinnamon twists? Mm. <laughs> That's what Ambirana tastes like. It's like, wow, it is just cinnamon, sugar, huh. cinnamon roll. It is just, you know, a little bit of maple to it. It just makes it very sweet and it's so distinctive. So you have Ambiranas, you have rums, you have sherry, you have port. Um, you have a combo of those. So I feel like everyone's kind of looking for the next thing. And I think people have toyed with some, some beer finishes. But I think late last year, we saw... Uh, Goose Island being used as a uh, as a as a beer finish, like some really like deep, rich, chocolatey stouts, uh, porters, IPAs. So I think we're going to see more of the producers get into different uh, into different beer finishes because I just think everything I feel like has been used. So it's always looking for the next thing. And I just I don't feel like enough distillers have done anything with beer. So I feel like that could be the next thing. Yeah, uh, well, these guys, two brewers right here. I'm I, as you're saying it, I'm getting all kinds of beer notes in their actual whiskey because they actually take a. Well, they were originally beer makers, and they take a beer maker approach to making their single malt. So, have you tried the two brewers yet, or no? No, um, but the one I'm talking about here is this bottle right here. This is the Bardstown Bourbon Company. This nice. is the Goose Island one. Okay, nice. Um, and this, I mean. This this bottle's no slouch. So the one the one caveat to this bottle, unfortunately, was that it was only available in Illinois, uh, because that's where Goose Island is based. Uh, this is a twelve year old Kentucky bourbon, twelve years old, that they threw in a Goose Island stout cask. Um, I, I shit you not, it's like drinking sh- chocolate fudge straight out of the glass. Yeah, that's it's awesome. ridiculous. I mean, you can't not like that unless you don't like chocolate and you're you know not a human being. so So, i mean it's it's insanely deliciously good 111.4 proof i mean if more stuff like this comes out it's gonna i think it's just gonna keep taking off so that's a company that like keeps eluding us like we really want to try bardstown but like Mm -hmm. have you tried it yet no i have i don't think i've tried it either so i will get i'll get some samples for you guys because i think you guys need to try the origin series uh, which is their, so they were, they were sourcing from, you know, they were kind of putting their, so when they started, they had the fusion series that was Barstown bourbon companies using their young distillate and blending with some sourced older distillate from Kentucky uh, to kind of blend the young and the old together, which was hence, you know, fusion. Then they had their discovery series is where they're just blending a bunch of different older whiskeys that source all different together they started putting some canadian corn whiskey in it uh last year in some of the blends which was interesting uh so like 12 13 14 year you know canadian whiskey uh putting uh corn whiskey being put into those blends um but now uh they had just released the origin series so they were releasing all these as their own distillate was being aged up and now their stuff has hit about four five six years old is ready to release uh, they have a high, they have a high rye bourbon that they released that, uh, I forgot the proof point of it. Uh, then they have a bottled and bond 
weeded bourbon, which I shit you guys not. This could go right up against Weller, um, right in the face. And I think that's that's what's great about it. And then they have a rye that's using some, uh, like a, I think it's a cherry wood, an infrared cherry wood charred stave to kind of, you know, help flavor a little bit, but a rye whiskey. All three of these all coming out for about 60, 65 bucks. And I think the price is only going to go down as more of this stuff hits the market uh, in the future. But Bartside Bourbon Company is a huge player in the market in Kentucky and, and, a, and a company that that I think sky's the limit for them. Yeah. Yeah. We've been deprived of good bourbon. We've talked about it before. The availability in this province is nothing. Yeah. Um, anything that's remotely okay goes to lottery, which is impossible to win. Um, even the stuff okay. like that comes in through Alberta, it's, it's not, it's not that good. It's no. not like, it's not stuff that you would reach for. I mean, we watch. I don't like this actually. Like uh, the palate, like it doesn't, it does not drink 60%. It, it actually tasted a lot better than I thought it would. We watched your whiskey of the year, bourbon of the year, and they all sounded so delicious. We haven't tried any of them. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I just sourced the uh, Calumet 16. So Oh, the Calumet 16. Now, I will warn you, they are different batches. Mm. So the one that you have that, that, that you taste might be different than the one that I got. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I... I mean, you guys don't get Elijah Craig barrel proof out there? Yeah, we, again, like, again, that goes to, like, a lottery system, right? I mean... A lot of great brow proof goes to a lottery? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it sits on shelves for you guys. It it does not do that here. Because what happened was, like, four years ago, we used to get Stag Jr., and the LCBO would have such a headache because some stores would release it, just put it on the shelf, and one person would come in and buy all 38 bottles, yeah. One one store would be like, this is a one per customer thing and sell it one per customer. And there was no cohesion between yeah. all the stores of what to do with it. It was kind of up to store by store basis. So the LCBO was like, forget all of this. We're putting that all online. It's either one per customer on an online sale or it goes into a lottery program where you have to win a chance to purchase it. Yeah, they've been doing a lot of one per customer online. And I think that's that's got to be the way to go. It's the most fair way because... You, People will just come in and jack it, right? Like mm -hmm. they'll just yeah. buy it all, um, and it's not fair. And it, it only really comes like that. Only really comes to like our area of Toronto. Like outside of Toronto, the entire other province won't get any of it. They won't see a single bottle. So yeah. it is the more fair way to do it. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy to me, especially for those big distillers. It's just like you feel like you guys would get enough volume up there that you wouldn't have to go lottery. That's crazy. You would think so, but uh, that's not the way it works. Even like something like um, something super basic, like Eagle rare 10 year old, like that is like on online one per customer now too. Oh, please. Even, that's even one per customer here in most places. Okay. You, can't, you can't find that thing anywhere anymore. Anything Buffalo trace, most of the Buffalo trace products now depends on the state. But most of the products, depending where you go, I mean, they're ghosts. You don't, yeah. you don't ever find them anywhere. It's, it's Springbank up here, pretty much. It's, I mean, I mean, even Buffalo Trace up here is pretty hard to get. But at least the regular Buffalo Trace you can get. You can get regular Buffalo Trace on the shelf, no problem, yeah. no yeah. problem. Yeah, I mean that's not bad. I mean that's an eight. You're looking at an eight to nine year old bourbon, ninety proof. It's not bad for the money. I mean always, but I think pricing is probably the most frustrated thing in bourbon. 
uh, these days because price points are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it and it's not just across the market. It's it's even even from distillery to distillery. Like like Rob, like you you were looking for a Knob Creek eighteen, right? Yeah. So just looking at Jim Beam's price points, it's they just befuddle me every time I talk about them because yeah. they will they will release a Knob Creek eighteen for one hundred sixty bucks. That's an eighteen year old Kentucky bourbon at a hundred proof for one hundred and sixty dollars. That's less than the ten dollars you know a year of aging, right. which is pretty impressive when you think about it. Yeah, especially in today's market because they could they could charge three hundred bucks for that. Uh, but they keep it 160. What they do decide to jack up in prices is like the releases like Little Book. Yeah, Little yeah. Book, Little Book has like fucking two-year-old, three-year-old whiskey in it. <laughs> and they want you to pay 140, 150 for it. Hardens Creek, they released a two-year-old bourbon, but because it was a it was put at a it was it was put in a barrel at a different entry proof. Uh, with a you know you know all this all this historic mumbo jumbo behind it, they charged eighty for it, so eighty to ninety dollars for a uh, for a two year old whiskey, but then you're charging only one hundred sixty for an eighteen year old Knob Creek. There, the the pricing is all over the map. Um, you see it here. You should yeah, see Knob Creek here. Knob Creek fifteen or sorry twelve here is now one hundred and fifty bucks. So <laughs> what the, the nine the nine year old is what is 60 bucks 60 bucks no nine. that then the 120 is 60 bucks. the 120 proof nine-year-old which yeah. is a great deal 100 the 120 proof is 60 bucks yeah then for three years more less abv you're getting almost more than double more than double it's 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 yeah, $150. It's, bucks. it's $90 more. It's almost $100 more. But, but is that is that Jim Beam or is that LCBO price? Uh, That's the LCBO spinning a wheel and being like, <laughs> this one. The this LCBO is, is like, hmm, what are we landing on? What are we Nine year old is yeah. 60 bucks. Let's spin the wheel and see if the 12 will be. No. It's a joke. This province is a complete joke with whiskey. It's because the government owns the liquor stores, they have the monopoly, they can do whatever the hell they want. It's horrible uh-huh. for the consumer. And um, they all we ask for, like, okay, it's taxed a lot, sure, okay, there's a tax, whatever. whatever, but like, we don't get variety, no. like, they have the ability to bring in so much stuff, they have the ability to do like single barrel picks that they could do, they, they could go to every distillery, they could do and so say, much more that yeah. just please the customer, and they don't do it, they don't do it. They could literally so go to every single distillery and say, Listen, we're gonna do a we're doing a barrel pick program every year, we're taking two of your barrels. We will pay whatever you want and we'll fucking do it. Yeah. And and the thing is, is this the companies would be like, sure, no problem. Look at look at KWM, for example. They brought in KWM out of Alberta brought in a 1992 family cask, first fill sherry, Glenn beautiful 30-year-old Glen Farquist. They charged six hundred dollars a bottle, which that bottle, like if it was a regular retail release, would be twelve hundred bucks, no problem. Right. So you're getting it at a discount. Obviously, if if the company can charge that little for it, literally half the price, right? The LCBO is going to be getting it at a discount. So they're essentially going to be getting like twelve year olds for less than they get the actual like like Glendronic twelve year old right. on the shelf. So it's it just makes like perfect sense, but they have 
literally a bunch of buffoons running the show and have no idea. What <laughs> well, they don't care because they don't need to. Jason, you mentioned that you were doing some barrel picks. Why don't you tell us um, what that's about? Yeah, so I uh, I teamed up a couple of years ago with uh, my good buddy Scott from uh, my bourbon journey. Uh, I always said that if we uh, if I ever got a chance to do some barrel picks, you know, let's do them together. We have similar palettes. He's kind of like a straight middle of the road type palette. I like that, but I like to venture off and look for stuff that's a little bit different. So I think together we kind of keep ourselves in check. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so for my Patreon community, we uh, started the Mass and Journey Whiskey Club. And we have done over 75 picks in two years. Wow. So we have we have done quite a few. Everything from the heritage distilleries to small distilleries. We've done single malts. We are releasing our first cast strength uh, Japanese whiskey uh, this year, uh, coming out pretty soon. Uh, so we, we're doing a lot. We're trying to give our, our club as much variety as we can. Uh, we have seen a little bit of a downturn in the buying uh, lately because i just think there's so many single barrels out there right now um uh so we're we're trying to focus on stuff we know that people are going to want uh and yeah we'll see it, it just continually continuously grows uh we're definitely making a name for uh for the quality of our picks so we're really happy about it yeah it works picks. that's a, that's a huge amount and it definitely it works a little differently in canada in the fact that we don't really do it at all no um, well, <laughs> it, works, it works a little differently, but we don't do any. We've <laughs> done a couple. I've, like, I've done a couple. Rob's done one with, you know, um, with Shelter Point, but it's like, it's not the way it kind of works in, in the US, right? You don't just like go to a distillery and they yeah. pull some barrels for you and you there's a whole experience, you whole try. That doesn't really, that's not really how it works here. No. I mean, even like uh, stores that bring in scotch single barrels, you know, they're more of just like, they get sent some samples, they pick one, and that's their store pick. That's yeah, and that's I guess the biggest challenge the LCBO has is that even when they're like offered store picks, they're not flying guys out to Scotland. They're just getting samples and then Yeah, yeah and then, I remember like the Jack Daniels single barrel barrel proofs that the LCBO got or the SAQ got, they were not even as good as the stuff you get off the shelf. Like, no. They just sold like the provinces here, just garbage. Yeah. They're like, here, just take our leftover stuff that no one else wants. And they're like, oh, great. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. We'll and put a price oh, tag. I mean, it's interesting. I, 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 yeah, I've been, uh, so I live in Ohio. Ohio is a state controlled liquor agency. So we don't, we don't get, um, there's pros and cons to that. You get uh, the pros are is that you have some sort of price control. Yeah. So, you know, we're called the land of Weller because you could come to Ohio and find Weller antique for like 50 bucks here. Whereas if you go elsewhere, you'll probably find it jacked up for like to like 200, 250 dollars. Mm -hmm. So you get price control here. But at the same time, you don't get anything like if I were like when I lived in New York, I had a relationship that I built with a liquor store and then anything allocated that came in. You know, they would put aside for me because they knew I was going to either review it, drink it, share it, and not flip it. So I would get sold that bottle. I can't do that in Ohio because it's liquor. It's a, it's a state liquor agency. So anything that's allocated like BTAC or Pappy or even some of the old Fitzgerald high-aged uh, releases that they do, uh, any, Weller, any special Weller release, it's all by lottery. And if it's not by lottery, it's dropped like randomly throughout stores all over the the, uh, the state where you have to, you know, get in line at fucking 2 a.m. Right. to try to get a bottle by 10 a.m. that that morning. So there's pros and cons to it, but 
Um, what we like to do with the picks, though, is just it's it's like a matter of just getting as much as we can out to you know to different to different types of uh, of drinkers. But I mean, I, I get it. It you know you kind of have to play the game a little bit, yeah. unfortunately. But it is what it is. Yeah, I got a quick story here. Go ahead. <laughs> so Highland Park approached the LCBO. This is while. I still had a good relationship with Highland Park. Um, <laughs> they approached the LCBO and they wanted the LCBO to do a barrel pick. So they invited me to this barrel pick and there was like executives from the LCBO and myself at this pick. And yep. they gave us four options, three options, actually, sorry, three options. Only three and casks? Only Each. three casks to choose from that were already bottled, by the way. <laughs> that were already bottled and then we got to choose like what what went on the label basically um so there was a clear winner a clear winner okay and the executives from the lcbo wanted to pick the worst of the three because it was from a hogshead barrel and one of the nicknames of toronto is hogtown so they thought it would be cool to name the bottle Hogtown and totally set. disregard that it was the worst of the three picks. I'm like, right. so I'm looking at the ambassador while they're talking and I'm like, these guys can't be serious. And I'm like, guys, I think it's the right move to go with the best of the three. Yeah. <laughs> and then they actually did. Thank God. But it was... It was you have to terrifying. talk some sense in these marketing fucking idiots who only care about but this what is, they can freaking yeah sell. and these guys are yeah, what they, like they can sell dollars the problem is is that the LCB is going to sell out of that bottle anyway mm-hmm. right it's like what how many there were how many bottles three hundred or something yeah right they're going to sell out of it anyway so, so, it's so like, that's a good so that's a good point because where I was I totally forgot where I was going I was talking about the Ohio thing they invited me to go to uh, Wild Turkey and pick fifteen barrels for the entire state. So I got to go with them to Wild Turkey and go through the warehouse go through the warehouse and help pick 15 barrels for the entire state of uh, of Ohio. That's pretty cool. And it's one of those things where I've never picked barrels like that. It's always, you know, as you guys alluded to, it's always like a handful of barrels. You got to try to find the best one. Yeah. This was like you're running through the, the warehouse and you're just drinking barrels and you're trying to find barrels that suck rather than barrels that are good. Yeah. Because they're like, they're like even the mediocre ones. If they're solid, we're taking them because people are going to buy them regardless. Right. Yeah. And yeah, there is there is something to be said for that for sure. Yeah. And and even in that like that kind of pressure situation, drinking 15, 20, 30 drams, like that's a lot on your palate. Like right. to trust your palate alone yeah. is is nerve wracking in that moment. Like even when I'm doing when I did the the shelter point one or you know um, that that Highland Park one it's a little nerve wracking. it's like, I don't know how much of this I'm actually tasting. That's, you know, like they offered us a dram before we walked in for the high park thing, which was a complete mistake because right. like, we're about to select a barrel. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's a really tough, I, I commend these guys that are master distillers and master blenders because they put their palate through the ringer. Yeah. But I, but I think picking barrels is becoming, um, 
I mean, we talked about oversaturation in the market just with brands. I think single barrels are becoming an you know, oversaturation, at least here, yeah. uh, stateside, just because every club, every group, everyone, every store, everyone does a pick now. There's yeah. picks everywhere. Yeah. So there's yeah. like there's a uniqueness to it. And I think the beauty of picks is that if you get to know someone that you know you align their your palette with. Yeah, And you know you're always going to get probably a pretty decent pick no matter what it is. But there are so many picks and people doing different experiences of it. I mean, I, I could tell you guys some of the best picks I've had. Maker's Mark was an absolute – say what you want about their whiskey, but it's, 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 the, it's the, the most amazing experience I've ever had doing a, a pick. And the, you're not really picking there. You're blending the staves to make a different profile. Because they do their uh, their stave uh, mixes rather than you're not doing a single barrel because they hand rotate their barrels constantly. So for consistency purposes, they use they use the term flavor vision all the time when you're there. It's like this barrel hits a flavor vision, then we move it down the rick, and then it spends mm. another you know couple years there. Then we rotate and we rotate, and then we move it down again. So it's always consistent. So a single barrel pick there is no fun, which is why you have to do the stave profiles to do it. Yeah. But absolute first class experience there. Then you have guys where you walk into a room, everything is kind of laid out for you. You have your barrels. That's what you pick from. And that's it. Mm -hmm. um, Heaven Hill, we got to, we were lucky enough to do one of the first Elijah Craig barrel proof picks cool. uh, for our group a couple of years ago. And um I mean, I love Heaven Hill, but the pick the pick experience was kind of crap. It's three barrels here. This yeah. is what you get if you don't. Yeah. The first two barrels we picked were shit. We're like, these are terrible. If this third barrel isn't what decent, I mean, do they roll out more? Do we walk away? Like, what happens? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's kind of like, I think that's big brand style uh, barrel picking, right? Yeah. Like that's probably what that is and you're what you were saying before is like every group does a pick it's like are they going to be pressured just to pick something that's like you know just mediocre you know probably they would probably that's they would. the thing I, th I think there are a lot of mediocre picks out there i mean oh, yeah. I, I always use new riff as an example new riff makes absolutely great whiskeys especially rise but i have had way more like bad youthful bourbon picks than good ones yeah and i think it's because there are some folks in some groups that are probably just excited to go in there and do a pick and they're just grabbing a barrel when they can. Yeah. Rather yeah. than actually, you know, taking the time to pick the right one. Sure. You know, because yeah. they rather decorate the bottle with wax and glitter and all this other bullshit yeah. well, rather than the whiskey tasting good. Yeah. Put a big sticker on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sticker on they want their it. name yeah. on the yeah. bottle. Yeah. Yeah. Their name on the bottle. They could, you know, share it with their friends and their family. And mm -hmm. hey, look, we did this pick, even though the whiskey's shit. Look at my pretty bottle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot yeah. of that. Go There's a lot. Of I think there are still companies that are distilleries that are still honing their skills as a pick experience. Yeah. Um, and I still think there are. The, the bigger brands are kind of, I don't know. I feel like every time I go, I feel like they're over it. <laughs> so I just fucking pick a barrel yeah. and get yeah. out of here. Because <laughs> they know if it's not, if it's not you, it's the next guy coming in. Right. That's absolutely. They know if we don't pick it, 
if we're picky, they're like, okay, well, we don't care because the next yeah. group that comes in is going to find one of these amazing and they're going to take it. That's yes, right. So. Exactly. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. So there's, uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of that. that. Jason, why don't you tell us uh, what's coming up on your channel? What can we look forward to? What are you putting out soon? Uh, so I have, let's see, I have some new brand alerts, new brand alert videos that I'm going to be dropping soon. A couple of new bourbon brands that I want to, uh, that I'm going to be highlighting. Uh, some great single barrel uh, companies, stuff that Bartstown's doing. Um, uh, my, I did a video a couple of years ago about my perfect collection to start for 400 bucks. Uh, okay. If you have a, if you want to start a bourbon collection for four hundred dollars, these are the bottles you should buy. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to do a 2023 version of that because nice. I I literally can't include anything Buffalo Trace on it again because you can't find the shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, some some redoing that a little bit. Um, I have a uh, yeah, I have a couple of big ideas, some really great videos, uh, but those are kind of the those are kind of the big ones uh, coming up in the next. Uh, oh, I also <laughs> I'm doing a video real soon, which should be entertaining. Uh, for why Jack Daniels is considered a bourbon, the debate ends now. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah, I literally go through each facet of the uh, the the legal definitions for each facet of making Tennessee whiskey versus bourbon, and then going down the line. And you, I mean, if you if you still by the end of that video, if you still think that Tennessee whiskey can't be called a bourbon. Then you're either not watching the video, you're not paying attention, or you're just stubborn. Right. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're from you're from Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're from Tennessee. Exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. This was great. And we'll do it again sometime soon, I hope. Absolutely. All right, guys. Uh check out uh Jason Matchton Drum. Link in the description down below. If you've not subscribed yet, 100 percent do that. The most trusted voice in bourbon on YouTube, 100 <laughs> percent <laughs> thanks so much guys i appreciate it. i'm gonna I get a so i'm gonna get a i'm gonna get a shirt that says that yeah you, uh, yeah, yeah you, and that's one yeah and i'll take i'll take i'll take a royalty for coining it thank you. all right thanks so much guys have a good one cheers cheers